Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. Today at the cafe, I'm excited to have Scott Bailey, a seasoned Sandler certified trainer in the Western region with over 25 years of service to discuss how sales training gets the sales organization working from the same playbook, using the same communication system to drive business growth. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me, Angela. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started, why don't you tell the audience about you and about your business? Well, I've been in business since 1994. It's actually 26 years now. We say 25, but time keeps passing. Congratulations. By. Yeah. Yeah, you might need to update something because I picked up 24 somewhere. I know. So I was uh, originally coming out of college. I was a biology major with plans to go to a professional school to be an optometrist uh, precisely, and then decided to try sales um, to earn money to get into the graduate school. And Back in those days, pharmaceutical companies, healthcare companies were hiring biology majors because we could talk to doctors. So fast forward 20 years later, I found myself uh, having a knack at sales, enjoying a, a very profitable career. And I worked for a major kidney dialysis company and managed a territory in Southern California and actually became uh, number one in sales at age 42 after many, many years of kind of bumping around and uh, being in the top three and that kind of thing. And now I'm number one and realized that I wasn't going to be going back to professional school. I was a career salesperson, but there were some uh, gaps in my sales process. As good as I was, I knew I could be better and I couldn't figure out what it was. It was like I had blinders on. So I'd, mm -hmm. I'd heard about the Sandler selling system, which was, uh, it was an article in selling power magazine and the publisher had, interviewed a man named David Sandler, hence the Sandler selling system, and he tagged it the best kept secret in sales training. So I sought out a Sandler coach and uh, got involved in the program on my own dime, didn't ask my company to pay for it, and, and really rebuilt myself as a uh, mid-career into a, a new type of salesperson, was so impressed by what it did for me that I bought a franchise, and that was 1994. So we've been continuously operating. I'm currently the longest continuously operating franchisee in the in the Western region for Sandler. There's people right behind me, but I claim that space right now. Okay. So before we kind of get into the conversation, you said something I want to give a little clarity to. So this is a franchise. Mm -hmm. Are there other folks in this territory that you compete against? I mean, I know in some, you know, typical restaurant franchisees, right? So there's certain distances, but in this situation, I mean, are you Orange County? Are you Southern California? Are you all of California? How does that work? I, I am supposed to market myself in the state of California. When you buy a franchise, you you I happen to be in Irvine, so I can market myself anywhere in California directly, but I can take a referral, for example. Let's say you have a brother in Cleveland who owns a company that needs some sales training, you refer me to him then that's, that's not considered any problem at all. Or I could refer it to a Sandler trainer. We currently have close to 300 offices globally all over the world, and I'm not even sure how many languages. But in, in California specifically, I think there are 12 franchises, give or take 12. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. But we don't consider ourselves competitors. We consider more more peers. 
try to help each other out. And there's Orange County, what, 3.2 million residents. There's tons of business here. Yeah, lots of opportunities. Lots of commerce, lots of commerce. Okay. So uh, I asked some consistent questions of all my guests, so I'm going to ask them of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one is, when it comes to growing your business, what keeps you up at night? Oh, man. (laughs) Well, right now, (laughs) right now, it's where am I going to get my next business? But, uh, you know, I'm I'm blessed right now that I I have lots of historical clients that keep hiring salespeople. Um, And it's just staying up with technology. I'm from the old school learning, learning technologies like Zoom, which we've pivoted to. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm learning. And I would say that's that's pretty much my area right there. And as a sole proprietor at this point, well, I have a I have a marketing person which I mentioned, and a person, a, an assistant. But right now, my uh, it's just me, and uh, and and what I can do for myself and my clients. I've decided to just make this a lifestyle business at this point. I don't want to grow that big. I don't want to hire associates. <laughs> it's just me, and we're just going to ride this thing out. Yeah. Well, I think that's important. I mean, I think it, it, so I've, I'm a, a fractional chief marketing officer, as you know, and this, so I started this in right at the end of 2013. But in, you always have to make conscious decisions. At what level do you grow to or, you know, or continue on? When I when I had actually the original Ponzi group, which was a, a marketing agency, it, it I always as it grew, I would question how big I wanted to get. And, and every time I was a tough decision to say, I'm going to go to the next level, I'm going to go to the next level because it, it changes the dynamics, expenses and all those kinds of things. So I certainly understand that that conscious decision of how big or, or small you want to stay. So the next question is, what is the best business advice you've ever given and or received if it's different? Well, it wasn't real. I'm not sure it was business advice. And I wish I could remember who told me this. And it's a very, very simple rule, as most really good advice is. It's very simple. And I've used it in business in my personal life. It's called the three by nine rule. And what that means is pick the three most important things you have to do for the day and do them by 9 a.m. every day. And I follow that. I thank you. I wish I could give it credit to who taught, but now you could modify it. You'd call it a five by 11, but, but I, I work with that. And one of those three things for me is exercise. That's always in the top three. It always, always, because I, I could make the case for of all the things that are important to us in life, like family, kids, grandkids, you know, all that stuff, our, our spouses, significant others, I can make the case that your health is probably the most important thing. You got to be taking care of that. Yeah. And I know you exercise and I do too. So that's one of those top three. Yeah. Okay. Every day. I I really like, I just wrote it down. If you, uh, (laughs) you can use it. I'm going to use it. I I won't take credit for it, but I'm going to use it. But you can give me credit now. (laughs) I'll give you credit because I'll probably throw it out in in some of my shows. I, when I hear good things, I tend to repeat them and and give credit where credit is due. Isn't it simple, though? It's so simple. It, it is very simple. It is very simple. Uh, yeah, I like it. So the last question, if not the last question of the interview, but the last question of mine, if your business or your journey as a business owner was a book, what would the title be? Oh, how did this person get there? <laughs> I, I um, As a sales trainer, 
and career salesperson, I was probably the last person that you would could have imagined to be in sales. I am a flaming introvert, and I break all the rules about, you know, you have to be extroverted to sell. That is just absolutely not true. Our namesake, David Sandler, was a flaming introvert. Um, I chose a career in sales not because it was easy, but because it was hard. And I, I didn't want to take a route that I look back on a career and go, that was pretty easy. I wanted to, I wanted to get up every day and, and, you know, be proud of the fact that I conquered a fear. You know, I had a fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to spend a few years in Toastmasters to get over that. So, and I remember telling my grandmother that I wanted to, uh, um, try out sales and I thought she was going to faint. And she says, we didn't send you to college to have you become a salesperson. So kind of breaking all those rules and, and I've proven over time and I've trained every imaginable type of personnel and from every industry. And if, if sales is something, if you just focus on it and it's something you really want to do, it could be a great career for many people. And as a small business owner, you know, which you are, you're a salesperson as well. Everybody's mm-hmm. a salesperson at some level. Um, even if you're an attorney, you probably sell juries, right? And so maybe my first sales call, I was three years old when I was selling my parents on what I wanted for Christmas. I don't know, but, um, the Sandler selling system has proven that selling is a noble profession and we, we treat it as, as such. Right. Well, if you think about it, it, yeah, I mean, I would knock on my neighbor's doors and, hey, can I cut your grass or shovel right. your snow? I'm from the East Coast. Where I was selling early on. Um, and and in, in my stories that I do tell, I tell about my father, who was a, an entrepreneur. And about age 12-ish, he would send me out to do collections for him. Oh, man. And, and, I, was, and I was shy. I, I mean, it, it wasn't until in my 20s before I could actually stand up and talk in front of people and those kinds of things. And Man, it was a great learning lesson, but boy, I'm sure he had an ulcer from that. But you talked about Sandler. So let's go 30,000 feet. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because I had a lot of questions, but give a kind of an overview and a context of of the Sandler system. I appreciate that. Sandler is a difficult process or concept to describe, but like Disneyland would be, for example, I know it's closed mm-hmm. right now, but Disneyland is an amusement park, right? But it, 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 it has vast differences from a carnival, even though they share a lot of the same characteristics. So what Sandler is, it's a, it's a system that's put together based on psychology. It is not a one, it's not a uh, quick fix kind of program. It's more like working out. So the program um, starts off with a two-day orientation or boot camp and builds on that. So there's no end to Sandler because it's wide, it's deep. Whereas most sales training is delivered in a one- or two-day seminar, Sandler is continuous, lifelong learning. You can never learn everything in it. David Sandler was a student of psychology and discovered certain principles of psychology that would apply directly to, to the sales process, and that's what it is. And um, it's, I'll introduce a term called pattern interrupt. So what we do is we break the pattern of the interactions that, that happen between a typical buyer-seller dance, if you will, or interaction. And so we, we teach salespeople to do literally the opposite of what other salespeople do. So we don't teach closing tactics because we believe that when our system is used properly, that the prospect will close him or herself. 
So all the we take everything that most salespeople have learned and we turn it upside down. And what happens is when you interact with a buyer, the buyer becomes confused in a positive way. I don't mean we're, we're not there to confuse people, right, but right. They, they can't figure out what's going on because, you know, the, the perception is, you know, well, well, how do you feel when, when a salesperson approaches you, right? Most of us don't like to be sold. So we have mm-hmm. a set of principles. One of them is people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. So a good salesperson knows how to get out of the way and lead the buyer to the correct decision for them ethically and morally and authentically. But it's not a program that that's, you could pick up in a couple of days. That's how we begin people. But in order to really bake it in, it could take as much as a year. For If you're highly trainable, highly coachable, you might get it in three or four months in all candor to really okay. get the benefit out of it. Well, because of the system, then, there's a lot of, of retention and reoccurring revenue for you yeah. as a business right. owner. Okay. Right, right, right. All right. Interesting. Here's another, so, another way I explain it is, is – like imagine you were on a sales call, an important sales call, and you you had the winning lottery ticket in your pocket that you're going to go cash right after the sales call. Now, how would you begin to feel on that sales call? I mean, would your odds increase or decrease of walking away with a contract? Most people would agree that your odds of increase of closing that sale would be much higher with the winning lottery ticket in your pocket. Mm-hmm. That's what Sandler is. It helps us to think and not be attached to the outcome. Where most salespeople are asking for a yes, right, and settling for a think it over, what Sandler does is the opposite of that pattern interrupt. We ask for a no, right, which eliminates think it overs. But when we ask for a no, right, which breaks the pattern of what a prospect is expecting, we'll often get yeses. We'll often get yeses. So it's so, almost like a flip flop. I mean, it, it, I, I think just 100%. What, what's, what would be logical in that disruption, if you will, is you're going to tell me, yeah, this is the way you, you would normally do it, but don't do it that way. And it's like, well, that's not logical to me, right? I, yeah. I want to get to the sale. And I agree that too many times salespeople and, and when selling, I, I mean, I can admit I've certainly done this in my past. I try not to is, is being a little too aggressive, trying to get to that conclusion. I told somebody the other day that we're, uh, looking um, to to for a job, and they said, "Oh, I need this job. I got to get this job." And I said, "No, what you really need to do first is get the interview. If you don't get the interview first, you're never going to get the job, right? So you can't go for the gusto. You got to get what's going to be. How do you emotionally connect to the person on that end? Same thing in sales. How do I emotionally connect so they understand the value?" And what I do is try to lead them to the conclusion that you need to do this because of the value you're going to receive. And and I think probably not exactly what you do, but I mean, I try to not take that direct hard selling approach as as successful as I was pre Sandler. And I was very successful. I couldn't get to number one out of 30 people. If I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I literally got there by seat of the pantsing it by winging it. And you can only get so far by winging it. And when you implement a true system and this applies not just to selling, but to anything you have a lot of advantages when you have a system, right? Systems are proven, they're predictable, they're reliable. Instead of just winging it, let's follow a process. Most salespeople wing it. Just, they absolutely right. wing it. Yeah, yeah. The um, So in dealing with your the companies that you deal with, and, and certainly in your just observation and, and business in general, 
Where do you see companies struggling or, or really failing to come up with an effective program? Typically, they're getting engaged with you because they, they've been unsuccessful. So, I mean, if you'd wrapped all those rationales or reasons, what, what's kind of the typical point that a company struggles that says, I need help? Great question. Companies typically come to us when they're concerned that they, they recognize that there's no common playbook. They'll have, you know, say that let's, let's just say mythically, they've got 10 salespeople. They probably have three that are doing really well. They probably have two or three that aren't doing so good and should be replaced. And you have people in the middle, right? And they, they can't un- understand why you've got these differences. The reason is there's no common sales language. There's no cross-pollinization. What are the good people doing to show what, what the not-so-good people are doing? There's no systems in place. Right. So that, that translates into um, a, a longer selling cycle. The people are commenting that it's taking longer to close sales now. They're losing business to competitors that are more highly trained. Their salespeople are um, driving margins down because they're cutting price to close deals. And the owners are pulling their hairs out. They're going, we can't do this. I never, you know, oftentimes these companies I work with, typical company, you know, under $100 million. Uh, usually the person I deal with, the CEO, started the company. And because they were the owner, they had to sell. Uh, business owners inherently know how to sell. Mm-hmm. As you begin to grow a sales team, it's very difficult to transfer those skills to your staff. And that's one of the ways we help is we help we help put that knowledge in the company to move it forward. Well, that handoff has is, is always been difficult for an owner that's built it to actually hand it off and, and have that. And it's a lot of it's about passion too, right? It, yeah. it, we say as business owners, you know, nobody's going to replicate the passion that we have for our own business. Never. But to hand it off to somebody else, um, it becomes very, very difficult. What, 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 what changes have you had to make in, in kind of your training or your clients have had to make during this crisis? Well, I'll go with my training first. We were already moving towards a blended approach of in-the-room training, and we will continue to do that. Right now, our offices are closed in Irvine, but we expect them to open in a month or so, where that's the two-day intensive. And then the ongoing training, which is held an hour every week, we happen to do it on Mondays. That's the, the back-end training. That's where you bake it in. We had people in the room as well as people outside the room. We were using Zoom, and we had a device called a Meeting Owl that would that would uh, get everybody in the room. You may have seen these very nice devices. And when we went when we went virtual, we just moved everybody to virtual with no hiccups at all. It was almost uh, a seamless pivot at all. And we will, will we will not likely be going back to in the room training for our reinforcement stuff. To get people to come for an hour, an hour and a half, where sometimes just the drive takes longer to get to the training center and then back home, I think is a huge advantage to um, to the virtual stuff. And our clients are picking up on it, too. Many of them have never had to use these types of tools. And now they find themselves working at home. And like we spoke offline before, they've got distractions. They may have kids at home. I'm lucky. I live alone. Um, I'm my only distraction. The refrigerator, the refrigerator is the distraction. Exactly. I I, I did a podcast um, a few weeks back called uh, Tips from Working at Home. But when I did the blog, I called it Tips from Working at Home from a Sweatpants Pro. <laughs> 
Yeah. But, so but we, are, we are finding, I will, I will comment that my clients are saying that it, their targets, the people that they're calling on now are easier to get a hold of yep. because their phones at work are being bounced to their cell phones and there's more conversations being done now and deals are still going on. Deals are still going on. Yeah, well, absolutely. I was trying, I was talking to a company about doing a market research project and, you know, part of it was talking to their customers and they said they put it on hold and I was trying to counsel them and saying, you know, this is not for me. This would probably be the easiest time I would ever have getting a hold of senior executives because once they go back to the office, I mean, this thing's not going to happen until the fall. So one of the questions I've gotten before is about now that we're in this crisis and remote sales teams. And how effective and how do you keep them motivated and what kind of changes need to be made or not made to their to their you know, sales quotas or their KPIs? So from advice from a professional and my show is about business advice. What advice can you give to those folks running those remote sales teams and, and how to really work with them, adjust them and keep them motivated? Well, right in the middle of that doing right now, that right now. So I appreciate that question, but it's going to vary by the company. Mm hmm. But um, it, the, the sales process hasn't changed. I mean, we're just we're just not meeting face to face right now. Everything else, we still need a system of selling. We still use the phone. We can make uh, appointments and meetings using virtual technology. Um, but it's very important. Some of the I'll call them older salespeople that I'm working with. Some of the sales teams are struggling because. They, they are so used to going into an office, so it's important to build more accountability in, making sure you speak with them at least once a day, if not twice a day, holding people accountable for, for what they say they will do, not quotas, but goals. We, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not a big believer in quotas, okay? We're, we're a big believer in personal goals. Okay. If you ask us, if you tell a salesperson his or her quota is, you know, $10,000 a week in sales, when their personal goal is $15,000 a week, you've just screwed yourself, so to speak. Yeah, so yeah. We, we want to engage our clients, inner child, if you will, of, of to get them to do the hard things that salespeople have to do because sales is an occupation that often encounters somewhat more adversity than, you know, maybe a bookkeeper. And I'm not to downplay book bookkeepers or somebody that, you know, a mail sorter or something like that, but, Salespeople not often don't just have to face adversity out in the marketplace with the competition, sometimes internal adversity, you know, scarce resources within the company that salespeople sure. are competing for. And I think, too, that sales leadership is so important in, in general. Um, I, I did some work with a company a few years back, and it was a commission sales organization. And I remember the first meeting I attended as a, the, the fractional CMO, and I was sitting in the audience. And the uh, owner came out and it was unbelievably negative. Uh, I felt like the people were being threatened. I mean, I was like, wow, I couldn't even believe this was going on. And yet there were 50 people sitting in the audience. And the next meeting a month later, there were still 50 people. It was such a crazy environment versus a real positive rah-rah kinds of stuff. Um, so I felt you know, that kind of leadership style and there's different types of styles doesn't really work. And I think that especially now, I mean, to your point, you got to be touching base. You got to be having lots of communications. Otherwise you're leaving it people their own desires on how they're going to run their day to day. And you don't want it to be just about a number, right? Because to your point, yeah. there's a lot of other emotional things that are going on. Yeah. I've, been in, those, 
I've been in those situations with what we call hostages or prisoners, people okay. that don't want to be in there. And, and one of the keys is making, making certain that the stakeholders want to be there. You know, when somebody says, well, I want you to come in and train my people, I'll say, well, I'm happy to do that. Where are you going to be while this is going on? Well, I'm going to be on the golf course. Okay. Well, you can't teach religion to the kids by dropping them off at church while mom and dad go to the sports bar. Yeah, exactly. You know, you got to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I will not accept a client unless the stakeholders, CEO, owner, president is involved in the program because the salespeople, <laughs> they will figure out ways to screw it up. They will hit their comfort zone and come back to their boss and say, these guys at Sandler don't know anything about our business. This stuff doesn't work. If I don't have the owner's buy-in, it just, it's just not going to happen. So I insist that the owners at least attend our two-day boot camp so they could see what I'm telling their people to, to back me up, to cover my back. Okay, great. It's just so, one of my rules, right? Well, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. You can't, you know, I, I believe there's a difference between leadership and being a leader. And, you know, whether you're telling people what to do versus inspiring and motivating people to want to want to do. So, um, you know, this show is about business advice and, and things and, and it's about stories. So let's let's turn the page a little bit and tell me a story. Tell me a story of a successful company that you did an implementation with and and how they benefited. And, you know, some maybe some of the nuances, you don't have to name who they are. And, that, and I'd also like to. If we have time, ask about a, a company that you did work with that didn't pay attention to you. And then well, I got to um, imagine there's one of those. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll mention, uh, let's do that one first. And it's okay. not that long ago. And it's just exactly what uh, I was speaking of. And it was a, a company based in San Diego. And they're in the healthcare industry. I don't want to get too specific because we might figure out who they are. And they were struggling. They have a cutting edge new therapy for um, cancer and rheumatoid, this kind of thing. And they were undergoing a lot of um, lawsuits and problems with uh, making claims. So the owner of the company um, enlisted about 15 people in the program and we split them in a couple of groups. And I said, and it's a long-term deal that we've got going on. We're going to train every month and we start them off. And I said, some of these managers, owners, whatever, have to attend with the salespeople. And of course, they didn't show up. And the lead salesperson, the, the, the most senior salesperson, the first night they, they had to commute up here, uh, went out and took everybody out to dinner. And, and the next day, spent most of the time in his car sick because he had a terrible hangover. All this happened because the, the owner didn't show up. And so that program fell on its face. I mean, and that's just broke my heart because, I mean, I could have done so much work for these people, mm -hmm. but they didn't heed my advice of having an adult in the room, right? Sure. When, when you train salespeople, it's like have a bunch of kids in the room. You've got to have adult supervision. Sure. Okay. Well, in corporate buy-in, we talk a lot of times in, about culture and culture starts at the top and works down and not from the bottom up. So I could see how that. So success stories, there's. Many of them, um, again, I would take an example of a typical company would have three to 10 salespeople. So let's go with 10 salespeople. We normally engage somebody who's heard about Sandler at some point and looking at training and maybe they're talking to other trainers, not necessarily another Sandler trainer, but I get invited in and they want to hear my pitch of how I'm going to train their 10 salespeople. 
And my, my question is, do you want to find out if your people are trainable before or after we start the training program? Oh, that's an interesting question, Scott. How do we do that? So I have found that typically, now this is, this is my own empirical data, about 28% of every sales organization is not trainable. Hmm. Not trainable. Okay. So what we want to do is we have a tool that we use. It's an assessment and it'll measure 19 core competencies of sales. We run it on everybody, which the client pays for. And I go back and I meet with the CEO and we close the door and I go through the data and I show him or her the top third of the people that I will take in training first, because to try to fix broken people does not work. Training doesn't fix broken people. If somebody has a lack of ambition and desire, they're not going to find it in the training center. It's not there. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you take your best people and give them the best training, you will see an ROI like you can never imagine. And we'll take the second group of people, and then we'll figure out what to do with the last third of people. Maybe they need to be replaced. In all candor, what happens is, you know, I can't fire this guy. It's my brother-in-law. It happens all the time. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, starting with an assessment, um, follow the process the way it's said. Don't try to shortcut it. No, no um, shortcuts at all. Follow the process. Take your best people first, get them trained, and you will see your ROI just explode on that. That's how you that's how you train. That's how okay. I do it. All right. Well, we're down to the last uh, minute or so. And, and I think my next question was, you know, again, for advice for my clients or listeners, what are the kind of two recommendation or tips and tricks you can give to help them stay on the right path to growth? I think you might have just given them. <laughs> Maybe. So I appreciate that. So why don't we, uh, I, I thank you. This has been a great conversation. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, yep. It's, uh, I, you know, right now it, it's so crazy out there that I find that people are reacting and, and not being proactive in thinking things through. And, and uh, that's kind of the conversations I've been having a lot with, with clients and prospects about getting on the right path and doing things now, because this is going to turn, it's going to change. And if you're doing nothing or doing the wrong things, when you come out of this on the other end, your competitors potentially are going to, are going to be in the lead and not you. And so we're trying to get people from uh, uh, being caught behind the eight ball. So why don't you, uh, thank you so much. Why don't you tell the uh, listeners how they can contact you about your website, your LinkedIn, all the, all that good stuff. My name is Scott Bailey. Uh, it would be Scott with two T's, S-C-O-T-T dot Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y at Sandler.com. Okay, that's my email. I am also uh, have a toll-free number, which nobody uses anymore, but it's 800, the number four, Bailey. Our website is Bailey Marketing dot sandler.com or you could just put in sandler and put in your zip code all the sandler trainers will come up in california and if if you're local to me i'd probably be the closest one to you so lots of ways to get a hold of us all right well fantastic and thank you for joining us at cafe today you can find out more about me read my blogs or view my shows receive future information at the ponzigroup.com or connect with me on linkedin And if your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO but not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me. I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to 
introduce the show to others so they can enjoy the great content like you heard today. And Scott, thank you so much. It's been a fantastic interview. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to uh, keeping in touch and and continuing. Maybe we'll do this again in a few months and and probably have all sorts of new things to talk about as we come out of this and things that you've learned. It's the first time we've been through this, too. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. We're all on this, right, for the first time. Well, thank you for listening and join me next week for lunch at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.